as we ring out the old year and uh, whether it's been a, a good year or a not so good year, uh, I, the new one's coming. <laughs> so uh, it, it, I don't know if you've had a good year, if it's going to be better or if it's going to be worse, if you've had a, a, a rough year, I don't know if it's, the next one's going to be better or worse, uh, but it's going to be a new year uh, either way. So uh, get ready for that change of the, of the calendar. Uh, it is an opportunity for us to, to rethink uh, some things and to, to start new habits and uh, new goals. Um, and, and I think that kind of... Uh, sometimes we need that sort of prompt, don't we? You know, to uh, do something different than we have been doing. All right, uh, I hope everybody had a, a great Christmas uh, this, this past week, and uh, um, for those of you that have been praying for warm weather, you know, God just gave you a Christmas miracle, and, uh, and, and I hope that you appreciate that. Um, for those of us praying for white Christmas, our day is coming, okay, so uh, just, just hang in there, uh, it'll, it'll get here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, today we are kind of following on from last week. This Sunday in between Christmas and New Year is always a little bit, little bit strange. It's like, what, what am I supposed to, to talk about? What are we supposed to, to think about? Usually I just take vacation and don't worry about it, but uh, here I am. And, uh, and so what I've done is I want to sort of follow on from last, last Sunday. Last Sunday... Uh, we talked about Jesus as the king, and I'll, I'll go into a little more details. But the idea of Jesus as king, it's necessary that it be accompanied by the idea that Jesus has a kingdom. Okay, so uh, what do we call a king without a kingdom? A peasant, okay? Um, and so Jesus, Jesus is a king but he must have a kingdom. And so that's what I want to, to talk about today. Um, it's, not a, it's not going to be a series that runs forever. Uh, so I, what I have here is a little video that just to give us an overview, it runs for about five minutes. And uh, it's a cartoon, so it should keep your attention. And uh, it, it'll touch on some points that I'm not able to in the, the time that I have or in the the text that I have. So uh, if you'll just tune in with this and then we'll, we'll come back and, and jump into the, the sermon as usual. And hopefully it works. You might have to click it back there, Ernest. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has turn it up, been please. destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring 
good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was a king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Right, there's a lot to think about in there, isn't there? Um, 
If you have any prayer cards or prayer needs at, uh, at this time, just fill out a card and we'll collect it. If you don't have it ready now, we'll collect it, uh, collect them again later in the, the service, but just hold it up and someone will take that from you. Also, if you uh, forgot to grab a communion cup on the way in, now's a, a great time just to, to grab one of those uh, for, for later. Uh, while that's going on, I want to uh, just uh, share with you, uh, just before Christmas, uh, we were collecting uh, items of food to put together for um, the uh, high school down in, in Shalott, and so we had the opportunity to go and um, deliver those on the last day of school. It was a little little chaotic. It was also with, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes left in uh in the school, you know, in the school semester, they decided that was the right time to have a lockdown drill. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <coughs> anyway, so we uh, we we sat through that, and um, it only went for 15 minutes. So we still had five minutes of school at the end of that. Um, but we were able to give out, I think, was it 10 or 11 of the of the backpacks. We we're hoping to do a few more, and uh, um, but we. Kids took the day off. I don't, you know, extended their their holidays a little bit. Uh, but you can see just some of the some of the faces and the of the students and of the the helpers. And it's nothing really particularly fancy. We just set the food out on a big table, and and as the the students come in two or three at a time, we just say, okay, go around, pick one of these, two of those, and uh, we were able to. They, they we had backpacks. We were able to squeeze everything into into the backpack. And uh, they went home uh, with food for the holidays. And uh, so just a, a really good reminder that uh, as whatever our Christmas dinner uh, was and whatever we've, we've had to eat over the past week, that there's a lot of people uh, struggling and, and experiencing a different, different reality. So a thank you to everybody that made that made that possible for us to do that. We had, because we, we actually put together enough for 15, so uh, we're planning to do this uh, a couple more times. Uh, there's a couple more breaks coming up um, in, the, in the coming school year, uh, the rest of the school year, and uh, so we'll uh, perhaps be letting you know about that. But uh, the leftovers um, are not for, for me. Um, they will uh, go to a, a good cause. Um, in the, the weeks ahead. So uh, again, thank you for, for what you do that enables us as a church to be generous uh, towards those that, that need it. So I mentioned that we focused, in, as we talked about the birth of Jesus last Sunday and, and perhaps on, on Monday, we focused on the theme that as we look through those biblical accounts, we see that the, the message isn't just, a, the, the story isn't just about a baby being born, okay? Um, it's about, uh, we, over and over again, the authors want to point us in the direction of saying, yes, it's a miraculous conception, yes, the, the birth is, is wonderful, but the significance of this particular child is sure God becoming flesh, but also that he comes to earth as king. 
and the implications then that that has for our lives. Uh, through, throughout his, and we see there the, the verses, some of the verses that we looked at last week that just um, emphasize Jesus as king, as lord, as ruler. And then throughout his ministry, Jesus taught about the life in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't just come and say, okay, um, I'm here. <laughs> now you all need to love me because I'm here for you. And you know that, that I'm all about love. You need to love me. I love you. And then I'm going to die. Right? It, it's more than that. He comes and says, yes, I'm the king and there's going to be a kingdom. And let me tell you what that kingdom is. Is like, and that really is the message of his ministry. Let me tell you what the kingdom, what God's kingdom, is like. And we saw that described in that, that video that we just watched. Along those lines, I find it interesting how many of our older Christmas carols make this connection, uh, perhaps in a way that that we don't. Some of these you may recognize. Right? And, and this was just a, a quick survey that, that I did. But how many of them in just a few verses have a reference to Jesus being born as the king? And sometimes it's the, the main point. Like we don't, we don't think perhaps of the first Noel as being a, a coronation song. Right? We think of it, oh, it's a Christmas carol. It's a baby being born song. But instead, but, but time and time again, the chorus is, Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel. Right? That, that's the chorus that it keeps coming back to. And, and so it's a, it's a song of the kingship of Jesus. Yes, it's about the birth. That's when we sing it. But the birth is a reminder. It's a proclamation of the kingship of Jesus. Here's a, as I got the list there, it's one of those things that I hope that once you see this, that you won't unsee. That next time you're singing a carol and you go, oh, look, there's that king reference again. There's that ruler reference again. There's that Lord reference again. As you go through different carols, it might be a little late this year, but in the, the years ahead. We also saw last week how um, on the cross at the end of Jesus' life, nailed above his head, was the accusation or the charge, king of the Jews. Okay, that was how he was born and that was how he, why he was, he was killed. And so I want to, as I said before, I want to take today to uh, spend some time thinking about the character, the nature, the values of the kingdom of of God, the kingdom that Jesus introduces. Uh, we, we know that um, it's not a modern political or geographic kingdom, right? Uh, Jesus was never saying, hey, everybody, let's all go to some remote part of the planet and set up a, a kingdom, a model kingdom that all those other nations in the world can, can either emulate or ignore or join or you know um, attack that's up to them but we'll have our 
kingdom. It, it was never designed to be anything like that. Jesus never attempted to say, come, you'd say, come follow me. But he wasn't going anywhere, if you get what I mean. He wasn't going to a, a place, to a location to say, yeah, we're going to establish borders. I want you to be the guards. I want you to you know, be the tax collectors. I want you. He, he wasn't establishing that type of kingdom. As we read through these, the birth narratives in both Matthew and the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we get these first glimpses of the values of Jesus' kingdom. They're not always what we expect. And so from our reading uh, this morning in uh, Luke chapter 1, Mary's song uh, of praise God, she praises God for the way that he has blessed her. And um, she describes his character in her praise. And some of these, I think the ones I've highlighted here, are perhaps the things that we might expect in a song of praise to God. God is merciful, right? God is, performs mighty deeds, right? He's God, he's strong, he's powerful. Uh, God honors the humble, okay? He honors the humble. He, he opposes the, the proud, those who might think that they're equal with him or don't need him. Um, he fills the hungry with good things. He cares for those who are struggling and find themselves in hardship. And he helps his servant Israel. And again, we close with that idea of being merciful. And so we go, yeah, that's God. God's sort of nice and warm and cuddly and does good things and makes me feel good. Okay? And, and all of that is true. But we also find that the kingdom of God isn't always what we expect. Because look here in the, um, in the middle of the, of the song. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Is that what Jesus is going to do? We're good with him helping people. We're good with him being kind and merciful and loving. We're, we're, we, we want those things. But how about throwing over governments? Right. Well, I, I think we're good with him doing that as long as it's a government that's obviously corrupt and cruel on the other side of the world, but not our government. Right? Not our government. Because ours is good. Right? Because we're here. We're good, and we're in this country, and you know. It's... And, and so we don't really expect to see Jesus overthrowing governments, bringing down rulers, being revolutionary in that sense. And yet, when we look through history, yes, there have been terrible rulers, terrible leaders at different points in time, haven't there? Many points in time. It's not just one or two rulers in the course of history. It's numerous rulers in the course of history. And, and I believe what this is saying, what we're going to see is that over time, perhaps not on the time frame that we would prefer, that, that God overthrows them. Right? That, that evil doesn't reign forever. And I know that for those who are going through it, you might say, well, that's cold comfort. And I, I accept that. It really, it really is. But nonetheless, we can see that God is at work 
in the world. Okay? And, um, and, and so God is not just about doing what is kind. Right? He's about doing what is right. About making the world right. And sometimes that means disrupting the order that exists, the order that we're comfortable with, the order that we're used to. Sometimes it means bringing in chaos in order to create then the change that is necessary to bring the world back towards Him. And so I draw our attention to this line because sometimes Jesus doesn't fit into our boxes. Sometimes Jesus makes us uncomfortable because he didn't come just to pat us on the back and to verify the status quo and say hey you're really a good person i'm glad i got to know you right he, he came to challenge our concept of what it means to be children of god and not only of us but certainly within israel in, in that day and time that he arrived there he said no look you think you know what it means to be children of god he says i've got a new vision for you Right? I, I, got, I got a new way of doing that. It's going to be disruptive. It's going to change the way you view the world. And people recognize that. That's why they opposed him. Because they said, no, we don't want that disruption. Right? We like the way that the world works. Maybe not perfectly, but we're comfortable with it. We know how to, which wheels to grease to make it sort of turn in our favor. Right? And so... They, they rejected Jesus and the, the change that he brings. They were scared of the chaos that he may have introduced. Almost immediately in the Gospels after describing Jesus' birth, if we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew, it goes to his baptism, it goes to his showdown in the wilderness with the devil. A couple of other bits of, of things happen. But then it transitions to the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the largest single um, body of teaching that we have of, of Jesus. And, uh, and so it begins with a passage that we, we usually call the Beatitudes. That comes from Latin. It means blessings. Okay, so it, 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 he begins his great sermon, okay, introducing his kingdom with a, a series of Blessings, And we'll talk about this passage, these blessings, um, in next week's prayer service more. So I'm not going to, to dwell on the Matthew uh, passage here. But it's worth pointing out that the first and the last of these Beatitudes, the blessing that comes with them, okay? If you do this, if you're this kind of person, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. This is, these are the bookends of the blessings with which Jesus introduces his sermon. And so we get the sense that it's not just about these blessings. His sermon is about saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. Okay? I'm coming, I'm the king. <laughs> Everybody, I'm the king and I want to introduce you to the kingdom. And if you're this kind of person, Yours is the kingdom. And then he picks up and he preaches for the next three chapters about what that kingdom looks like. Luke's gospel, 
Uh, Matthew and Luke are the two Gospels that have the birth accounts of Jesus. Luke waits a little bit longer into his Gospel, but he also has a, a significant sermon that, that Jesus gives. And um, in chapter 6 of, of his Gospel, it, you find sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Plain because it says that Jesus sat down at a, a flat place. I tend to think that um, Jesus probably gave this set of teachings um, maybe not word for word, but in quite a few different places as he traveled around and as he talked about um, what the kingdom was, introduced people to it. And so there may have been variations from time to time, uh, emphasizing different things depending on how much time he had, depending on who he was talking to. But we're going to see the themes uh, overlap. So don't think, oh, Matthew and Luke are necessarily talking about exactly the same event, even though the teachings are about a, a very similar. Like Matthew, we see that this sermon in Luke 6 begins with a, a set of blessings that describe the values of the kingdom of God. And so it's these that I want to just run through this morning as we think what kind of kingdom is Jesus the king of? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You see, the starting point for both of these is, to, is with the kingdom of God. That's what he's introducing. That's what he's describing. And, and he says, blessed are you who are poor. And, and I think that, that can kind of hit us as, as saying, I'm not sure Jesus knows what he's talking about. And, and we like Matthew better because Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We go, oh, look, I can be wealthy and I can be poor in spirit and Jesus blesses me. Right? So we like Matthew. Luke says, blessed are you who are poor in money. Right? Poor in housing. Poor in security. Poor in possessions, poor in whatever it might be. Blessed are you who are poor. Like I said, that, that doesn't make sense to us, does it? How many of us have spent a lifetime working to not be poor? Right? How, how many times did your parents tell you, right, if you don't go to school, if you don't learn to work, if you don't, you'll never get ahead in life. You'll end up you know, living in a, a shack or living on the side of the road or under a bypass or whatever. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is here saying is that those who are the marginalized in society can be blessed because there's a place for them in his kingdom. Okay. I want you to think about that because if you're a Somebody that says, I'm going to, to start my kingdom. Who do you recruit first? It's going to be the strongest, most dangerous soldier that you know, right? Fighter that you know. You're going to need some muscle. Right? Who's the next person you recruit? I don't know for sure, but maybe it's you know, the, the smartest person that you know. 
that's going to, to help you strategize and come up with plans to, to change things and to get ahead and to impact the world around you. And so we're used to saying, oh, here's a king. Here's Jesus. He is announcing his kingdom and he's recruiting. He says, you can come and you can be part of my kingdom. And, and like we would expect him to say, yeah, I, I want the soldiers. I want the fighting men. I want the, the academics, the smart men, the wise counselors. Oh, no, I need, I need some wealthy people, right? Because this is going to cost some money. Right? I need some wealthy people. And, and so he, we can see him collecting the people that he's going to need to establish his kingdom to overthrow the world. Instead, Jesus begins his introducing his kingdom as saying, blessed are the poor, there is a place for you in my kingdom. In fact, I am starting my kingdom with you. Because Jesus is making this speech, making this presentation to uh, the, the crowds in Galilee. The, the crowds in Galilee include farmers, they include fishermen, they include housewives, they include seamstresses, they include builders and carpenters, they, they include children. <laughs> they, it, it's a it's as far away from Jerusalem, the seat of power, the seat of government, as you could just about be in Israel before moving into the next country. And so out there on the fringes of the country, in the rural you know, hills of Galilee, Jesus speaks to the peasants and he says, I'm here and there is a place for you in my kingdom. In fact, you're the first to hear about it. And so Jesus says, you are blessed. You belong. Because Jesus' kingdom isn't based on earthly values. Rather, he is bringing heavenly values to earth. And that's why it's called the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Again, we like Matthew over Luke because Matthew says, blessed are you when you, what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, yeah. Right? I can have my great big whatever sumptuous feast that I, I enjoy as often as I want. And I can hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? And so Matthew sort of, sort of says, yeah, I get, we like that one. But what about this one? Blessed are you when you're hungry. And just to make that real to you, uh, I'll be going until about 2 o'clock this, this afternoon and you will be blessed, right? As your stomachs growl, as you start looking at your watches, um, as you see some people who just don't have the stamina, you know, get up and walk out. Those of you who stay here, who endure, you will be blessed. Jesus says so. This, this blessing really seems to echo the previous. It reminds us who Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is speaking to people who don't live near a supermarket. Walmart hasn't yet made it to Galilee. People whose survival depends upon their ability to grow their own food. To work manually, to store food to get them through each season. But Jesus says to these people, He says, You will be satisfied. There's something 
better ahead. God's kingdom is going to take care of you. And so I love just the reality of this, that Jesus is getting down on the level of the people that he's talking to. He knows who they are. He's not trying to pump them up and say, oh yeah, you're going to become gladiators in my army. He says, no, I know who you are. You're struggling to make ends meet. You're struggling to find food for your family. And he says, God's kingdom has hope for you. God's kingdom has promise for you. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Christmas, New Year, can be a a tough time for people, right? I know we, we like to sing songs of joy. There are people that stay away from church, stay away from Christmas movies, stay away from carol services during the holidays. Because it hurts. Right? Because there, there are people that, that they've been, who have been part of their lives that aren't part of their lives this Christmas, this new year. They're, we're going into a new year without somebody who they love. And so Christmas, yeah, it's a time of joy for many of us, but it's also a time of tears and grief for many people. But it's not just at Christmas, is it? Grief can hit us any time of year, right? Things go wrong, anniversaries roll around. We live in a world of suffering, of sickness, of pain, of struggles, of hardship. And again, Jesus relates to us, doesn't he? He doesn't say, okay, everybody, cheer up. I'm here. You should be happy now. He says, no, I know you're hurting. I know life's hard. I know what it feels like to weep, to have grief. He says, in God's kingdom, and and maybe this happens in the short term, maybe it's in the long term, but he says, in God's kingdom, there's going to be laughter. And I love this image, and it's one that really I haven't thought about a great deal, because when I think of the kingdom of God, very often I think of God's throne room. And when I think of the pictures in Scripture of God's throne room, what does it look like? First of all, there's a great big light, and God is sitting on a great big throne. And around Him are all these scary angels and heavenly creatures, And they are singing and praising God. And they're saying how holy God is. And when I hear holy, I think how unaccessible God is. How different God is from me. And and, and I want to be there. And that's the story of the gospel is that I can be there. right? That's where God says, yeah, you can come here. You can be with me. I want you to be with me. And that's, that's wonderful and that's great. But nonetheless, that's the picture I have. And I think that Jesus here, he he brings it down a notch. And he says, let me tell you what my kingdom is going to be like. What the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, now you weep because of all the the suffering and the pain around us. He says, in my kingdom, it's going to be laughter. And and so it it sort of challenged me to, to rather than focus on the throne room of God, to focus on a kingdom in eternity, 
where perhaps we sit at a table with Jesus and that table isn't one of him scolding us or teaching us or telling us to be serious or the kids to sit still and to be quiet. It's a table that is filled with laughter. An eternity sitting at a table laughing with Jesus. Right? I don't know what that means. Does Jesus tell the best jokes? Right? I, I don't know. Right? But, but it's a place of joy. It's a place of laughter. And I think, what sort of a, an eternity is that? Isn't that better than sitting on a cloud playing a harp? Right? Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I, I think that's a tremendous, um, tremendous image for us to hang on to. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Right? You ever been excluded? Right? You, you, maybe it was at school, maybe it's at work, maybe you know, there's a group of people and they just don't want anything to do with you. Right? You're the last one to find out when something happens. There's going to be a change that takes place in the workplace and you're the last one. You go, well, why didn't I know about this? And we all knew about it six weeks ago. You go, well, what happened? Why was I left out of the loop? What's it say about my relationship with you? What's it say about the way you you think of me? And he says, but this isn't just about that kind of hardship. Sometimes personalities just don't mesh. Here he says, because of the Son of Man. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you pledge allegiance to Jesus as king, if you make Jesus king of your life, if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, then there are going to be people that will step back from you. And he says, that's going to hurt. right? That's going to hurt. They're going to insult you. They're going to reject your name. He doesn't candy coat this and say, oh yeah, they're sugar coated. He doesn't say this is going to be a good thing. You're going to like this when those people step back. He says, no, they'll reject you. They'll insult you. They'll hurt you. You will feel excluded. But he says, you will be blessed because we're joining a host of people who've also experienced hardship because of their commitment to God. In verse 23, if we were just to to read down the very next verse, it says, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. So This is the same experience. The great men of God, the great prophets that have been held up and respected in in Israel's history, it's the same thing that they experienced. God will honor our hardships that we experience because of our faith in him. And so now we come to the point that a lot of this overlaps with Matthew. We come to the point where uh, Luke takes a different path from Matthew. Luke seems to echo the book of Deuteronomy, and I know that most of us have this memorized. So when I say chapter 27 and 28, you go, oh yeah, I know what that is. All right, so in chapter 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy, um, Israel has been brought out of Egypt. They've escaped from slavery. God has promised them a kingdom. Right? He's promised them a land. He's saying, this one is political and geographic. He says, I'm going to take you to this land. But it's not just like, have you ever got a Christmas gift with conditions? <laughs> right? Okay. You get this bow and arrow set. But if you shoot it in the house, I'm taking it back. <laughs> right? 
you get this bike, but if I see it left out in the yard overnight, it's getting locked up in the shed. Right? We, we sort of get that idea that, that sometimes the gifts come with responsibilities, and those responsibilities come with consequences. You fulfill the responsibilities, you get to enjoy that bike or the bow and arrow, or the, you know, you can play with your Xbox as long as you still do the dishes every day, right? You don't do the dishes, you don't get the Xbox. And so there are these consequences that come with the gifts. And, and, so, and so God says this to Israel, he says, I'm bringing you out of Egypt, I'm going to give you this land. But he says, there's some guidelines. <laughs> there's some responsibilities that come with it. One of those lists is in Exodus, right? Where we come to the Ten Commandments. And it's just like a bullet point of highlights of these are the things you need to do. The people you need to be. If you're to be my people and if you're to have that land, this is what I expect from you. In, in Deuteronomy 27, 28, it's the same sort of idea. Only this time, um, it, it's acted out. And, and God gives Moses instructions. He says, when you get in the land, I want you to go to this particular valley. And when you get to the valley, you're to divide the tribes. Israel was you know, divided into tribes, family groups. He says, I want six of the tribes to go over on this side of the valley and six of the tribes to go over there, the other side. The Levites, the, the tribe of priests, you ought to stay in the middle. And so the, the, you guys over here, you're the curses, the proclaimers of curses. Not the people who are cursed, but you're the proclaimers of curses. You people, these six tribes, you are the proclaimers of blessings. And there's going to be this ceremony. And the Levites will stand in the middle and they will call out and they will say, you are cursed if... And the people, both tribes, will say, amen. Right? Because they understand. Right? You know you're the kid and you say, oh yeah, mom, we'll do that. I'll put my bike away every night. I'll do all the dishes. I'll, I'll only play with my bow and arrow outside. I, I will do those things. Yes, mom, I'm on, I'm on board with you. And that's what Israel responds. They say, amen, let it be. Praise God. Whether it be the, the, the curses or the blessings. And so Luke, I think, sets up this, you know, you're coming out of one place, going to another place, out of one kingdom, into the kingdom of God. And he says, now we've got these blessings. But Luke goes on and he has then a list of, we might say, warnings. And the warnings look like this. They are the opposite of the blessings. And so you can sort of see this negative echo. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's this side. This side replies... Woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Let's actually try it here. This side, the blessing. Blessed to you. Okay, you're getting this. Blessed to you. Woe to you. Okay, I'll read this one. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Woe to you. Yeah. 
You see a pattern here? And what he's really saying is, what is it that you want out of life? Do you want people to speak well of you? False prophets spoke nice words. Or do you want truth? Do you want to be in the truth, to speak the truth, to believe the truth, even if it comes with consequences? Do you want your comfort now? Do you want your laughter now? Are you willing to live life, the reality of life, the hardship of life, in order to have an eternity of comfort and of laughter? Are you looking to escape now? Are you willing to endure? Do you want the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of heaven? And so Luke uses the same method that that we see back there. And so it's the same. On the way to the new kingdom, here are the blessings and here are the curses. People have choices to make. Jesus proposes a radical disturbance to the world as it was known then. He proposes a radical disturbance to the world as it is still known today. As we move into the new year, a lot of us are going to set goals. Some of us will even keep those goals. My goal today is to encourage you to take seriously what it means for Jesus to be your king and for you to live in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus isn't saying that we should take a vow of poverty. But he is saying that our security shouldn't be in our wealth, but rather in our king. He's saying that one's status in the world is not the same as one's status before God. Right? That the high will be brought low and the low will be lifted up. We will all, in the weeks and months ahead, encounter opportunities to make choices about our priorities. To to make choices not between right and wrong, but between blessings and warnings. Between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world or our own kingdom. Between whether we want to rule our lives or whether we're going to let Jesus rule our lives. And so, as a church, as individuals, as children of God, will our choices reflect our allegiance to King Jesus? Will our lives reflect our citizenship in the kingdom of God? Or are we just coming to church on Sunday morning? Because that's what we do. Right? We can do that. I'll tell you, so as somebody who's not a citizen of this country, sometimes I watch things to do with, you know, American holidays. I'm a very interested observer. Sometimes the things that happen, the things that happen in politics, they impact me. And I think we can do that with church, right? We're not really part of the kingdom. Jesus isn't our king, but we're interested observers. And, and the things that happen in the kingdom impact us. And so we're, we're here and we're paying attention. And, but is Jesus really our king? Noel. Noel. 
Born is the king of Israel. Born is the king of New York. Born is the king of Rochester. Born is the king of you and the king of I. Born is the king. Doesn't need an of. Just born is the king. What will you choose? His kingdom or your own?